0: welcome to the thought leader podcast
1: i'm dr kent and i'm randy baker and on our thought leader podcast we hunt around and find the most interesting thought leaders we can find who can share their wisdom with you
0: Today we talked to Eleanor Beaton, really surprising stories that she brought up right right off the bat, very, very exciting. Listen closely for, for my favorite story, which is about the $9 and the fish. Now,
1: Eleanor lives in Nova Scotia, but that's not where her journey began. So listen closely, you'll find out where her journey began. And if we have any
0: uh, female entrepreneur listeners, honestly, second to none advice in here, and clearly Eleanor is devoting her life to to rethinking, helping helping women to rethink their careers. So here we go. Here's Eleanor Beaton. So Eleanor, we've had some technical difficulties, which is always super super fun, and. It kind of puts everybody in a good mood to have a conversation. I think a little bit of you know, tech frustration to get the blood boiling.
2: Common ground, I think. That's what it's called.
0: <laughs> We're all in it together. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So you have Frida Kahlo there behind you. Um, it's do. really a neat contrast with you because you have sort of that similar dark features. And um, what does that mean to you? <sighs>
2: So, Frida Kahlo is so inspiring because she was a woman who uh, endured a lot of pain and suffering in service of being herself and bringing her art and her vision into the world at a time when it was really difficult for women to do that. And so, she is just a a source of tremendous inspiration to me for her originality, um, for her perseverance. And also really a testament to I think how far we've come you know and, and where I'm in a place today where myself and my sisters are able to share our knowledge and wisdom in a without the kind of suffering that she had to endure
0: and it, and from a branding perspective she was she was the queen in a lot of ways <laughs> she, she knew what she was doing.
2: She was the queen of the personal brand. I mean, you know, imagine being able to interview her on this podcast and all the, what she would have to say about really being able to build a, a global brand. It'd be impressive.
0: So on that note, curious to know, kind of to start, you can tell Randy and I are kind of the two sides of the shop here. I, I go straight into the soul stuff and, not, and he'll, he'll try and get into your pocketbook soon. I'm kidding. <laughs> But if we were to talk about Frida as an archetype, who's the Frida in your life? Like, how did you end up, you and your sisters, how did you end up being powerful and awesome and strong or quirky, all the things that you are?
2: Mm. I think it really comes down to my mom, actually. My mom, she met my father. She's from the Fiji Islands. She met my father there. He was playing rugby he went over from the UK as sort of this voluntary service overseas. He loves to tell me he was making $9 a week, you know, at this job with the Fijian government. So, he, have to, he would have to go fishing to supplement his income and actually eat. So, he's playing rugby. He meets my mother. They fall in love. They move to the UK. That's where I'm born. And then ultimately, he gets a job as a prof in Eastern Canada. And so, my mom followed him, a totally different culture. She was very brave, left her, you know, her family and, you know, all sort of those community connections to pursue a new life. And we arrive in Eastern Canada, and the culture's totally different. And so, she decides that she's going to stay home and raise us. And I watched her really adapt, build community, build friendships. What she didn't build, though, what she gave up was her career. And so, she was very much... You know economically dependent on my father and they had a wonderful relationship but I can remember her saying to me one time she was driving me to basketball and she's gripping the wheel she's really annoyed about something and she says Eleanor money is power always make your own and I think that that really galvanized that was not the only instance that she gave me that kind of advice and I think it galvanized in me this desire to be independent truly independent to be able to provide for myself and sustain for myself that's that sort of fiery independent archetype of frida within me handed down to me by my mother
1: beautiful i find that very interesting eleanor money equals power power equals freedom means a whole lot of different things a lot of people we talk to have a very much of a very much of a servant heart they want to change the world in substantive ways, and there's many ways that they want to do that, but their servant heart leads them into very low-income situations because they just want to help everybody and they don't want to earn money because they think money is dirty, for want of a better word. Um, Do you come across that and how do you overcome it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I have a bit of a different take. So, a lot of, you know, when I, when I think about this, it's really through a gender lens, actually. So, for most of women's history, we couldn't own assets, you know? And mm. so, it was our assets basically transferred from our fathers directly over to our husbands, and it was only two husbands, you know, if that wasn't the case, then it would basically all of our assets would just essentially go to our brothers. So, for women to have money to, it was something that wasn't available, you know, to us. So, I do think that there is some sort of a legacy, particularly among women, where there's not, there's, it's still an emerging relatively new thing for women to be wealthy For women to generate wealth from their ideas, imagine. So to me, I see this added layer, you know, to the servant's heart, which is this age old gender bias in place that, you know, myself and many other people are working to correct. So I've absolutely, I've absolutely seen that. But what I, you know, what I think about is money as a tool, money as a tool that allows allows us to ultimately create assets. I can remember a mentor saying this to me once, and I never forgot it. She said, you know, Eleanor, the world's wealthiest people don't work for money. They invest or create assets that, you know, generate money for them versus, you know, people who spend their lives working for money, and I've thought about that, you know, and I think about that as a thought leader, somebody who sells the most intangible thing out there, which is an idea, and how we begin to turn our ideas into assets that can live without us and that can yield, you know, return over time.
1: So assets, when when you talk about knowledge and assets, what, can we, can we explain what that is for our listeners?
2: Yeah. So I think about, so, you know, one stat... And this is like, tr- this is this is not fake news, but it's not the actual stat. So, we'll need to like <laughs> back it up. But, <laughs> you know, I think asterisk. even until the night Exactly. Asterisk. <laughs> do your own research. But I'm going to say generally. So, generally, until the 1970s, most of the value of a company was in its tangible assets. So, my husband used to have a, a landscaping business. And so, the value was in... The, the tractors and, and the excavators and the trucks and the equipment and all of that kind of thing. Today, most of the value, most of a company's value is actually, you know, 80% of it is very often tied up in intangible assets. So intellectual property, patents. Now for most of us thought leaders, we're unlikely to have things like patents But what we are likely to have are things like looping back to Frida, a strong brand that has value outside of us, strong customer, um, you know, lists, you know, clear processes. So, you know, we, it's not just the ideas, but it's the way in which we get results. So processes and systems that can be packaged into assets and sold as such. These are all ways that we can, we can turn ideas into assets that then other people can have. So an example would be, you know, I can remember when I started coaching, I was just coaching. I was showing up and using skills and I was getting paid for my labor. And it was fantastic, but it was really hard to take a vacation. You know, then I started figuring out, wow, there's something that I'm doing here consistently. And that became the bedrock of curriculum. And then that curriculum became the bedrock of processes that other people could deliver. And that was the key to turning ideas into an asset that can yield return without my labor.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: So I, I feel compelled to to want to tie your system's thinking. Clearly, you, the way you're mapping thought leadership is among the clearest and cleanest and simplest I've heard, which is wonderful. So I'm curious how you would map that back to your mother and father. In a way, mm. and not just them, but your the the whole I don't know breadbasket of all your <laughs> ancestors and surroundings and all those things, because the the multiculturalism, different countries, different cultures, mm. the stories clearly the story about the nine dollars and the fish, the you know all the different things. How did that all turn you into a systems thinker?
2: Mm. Oh, it's such a fantastic question. I think any immigrant, you know, so I think sort of as myself as an immigrant to a country as a biracial kid growing up where I didn't look like anybody that I knew. And there's always this sense of not belonging. And I don't want to overplay that or overstate that because I think there's it was subtle, right? And there's certainly people who very, very much do not belong, you know, or have or, or feel, you know, have experienced a lot, a lot of strife over not belonging. For me, it was always subtle. But, you know, there was always this sense of this feels like home, but it's not quite home. I don't quite belong here. And so we would go to Fiji and there'd be my family there and they would look so different from my family in the UK. And then in Canada, it was not actual family. It was just friends, which can sometimes be family. So I can remember as a kid taking refuge in ideas, taking refuge in books, taking refuge in my thoughts. And I think that's, I would map it back to that, this idea of the surest home I've known you know, for most of my life has been a home that I create for my dreams and my thoughts and how I put those things together to create something that makes sense to me.
1: So, Eleanor, you have a 30-30-30 philosophy, A, can you explain what that is? And B, can you tell me how you arrived at it?
2: Yeah. Oh, I love this. So, I arrived at this through one of the most powerful shaping forces, I think. A lot of people will be able to relate to this, which is indignation. So, in the business coaching world or in the world of sort of women's entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship generally, lots of conversations around entrepreneurship now have been really taken over by The world of tech startups, the influence of Silicon Valley, that if an entrepreneur is someone who comes up with an idea, gets a ton of investment of people to invest in that idea, and then attempts to grow that idea as big as possible to provide a big return for investors. And so it's this idea of the unicorn business. And lots of useful companies and useful technologies have been created in the pursuit of becoming a unicorn. But what I started to notice with massive indignation was that the opposite of a unicorn is a lifestyle business. And so a lifestyle business is is like a passive aggressive compliment. So I would be in these places at these conferences and I'd be, you know, where there were a lot of tech people and tech influence. And it was great and the energy was great. And then I would talk about what I would do. And it was kind of like, oh, that's a lifestyle business. And the idea is that a lifestyle business is you know, not that valuable. It's kind of itty bitty. It's just like this little thing. What really bothered me is that that's, in fact, the type of business that many, many women are starting. So women are starting businesses faster than ever before, depending on what research you look at, anywhere from two to five times. I was like, so this entire swath of people are being written off as lifestyle businesses. So what we call things is so important. And what I realized is that there had to be a name, there had to be a way to articulate what so many of these entrepreneurs are actually looking to create. And that's when I really started finding out from, from women entrepreneurs in particular, the experts, the thought leaders, what it was, what their goals were. I found the end goal was really three parts. They wanted cash because money is power and freedom. They wanted influence, the ability to have their ideas heard and acted upon. And autonomy, freedom. And so that's where this concept of a jewel business, which is 30 30 30. So 30% year over year growth until such time as the founder decides to accelerate or decelerate growth. And this is growth that's funded through generally internally generated cash flow. So it's th- the first 30. The second 30 is profitability, a 30% or more profit margin. And then the final 30 is 30% open unscheduled time. And that's the type of business that delivers the results that I suspect so many of the listeners here desire. What's a thought leader if we have no time to think? You know? And, and so many of us end up creating businesses because there isn't a clearly articulated model that become more like prisons than fulfill the promise of why we started the business in the first place.
0: Wow, beautiful. I uh, love the philosophy there. And the simplicity particularly you know coming so i have my phd in music so i come out of the, the art you know artistic space and yeah everything in that space you know in fine art it's 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 shadow and and light in music it's silence and noise <laughs> you know so I, the simplicity of what you're saying there is is give yourself some some time to think yeah, and randy's a big proponent of thinking
1: Yeah, there's there's a couple of things about what you just said that is very simplified and remarkable in its simplicity. Um, In my experience, businesses cannot grow if they're generating less than 30% profitability. There's not Mm -hmm. enough cash to grow with. 30% year-on-year growth means you double every 18 months to two years, which is really nice. But having time, time is the essential part. So many people get into business, and then work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, unless they're building a unicorn in which they have this badge of honor which says, I've worked 100 hours a week for the last three years to make this happen. Um, I don't subscribe to that. I, I subscribe to the, let's work, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week maximum so that we have plenty of time to actually enjoy our life and the fruits of our efforts. So I really applaud the simplicity of your 30, 30, 30. I think you're on the right track there. It's awesome.
2: Well, it's interesting because the whole idea of the unicorn business, it is a badge of honor, but there's also the belief that there is a sense of direction and a sense of meaning. As much as I don't agree with exhausting ourselves, you know, but you can do it a little bit, you know, if if there's meaning. What I found is outside that there wasn't, you know, businesses were not really granted the same kind of respect. Even, you know, and, and I really saw this when I started talking to in our club. I mean, I'm in Canada. We've just rolled out massive stimulus packages over the last couple of years. And there's a lot, a lot of stimulus to government. And I did some consulting around that in, you know, with respect to women entrepreneurs. And I was shocked at how little was understood at the highest levels of power about these types of businesses. Very little. You know, um, and that really showed me the degree to which a totally different type of business is dominating the conversation around what entrepreneurship is, and thus the types of that, how we should tax those businesses, how we should support those businesses. But if there isn't another model that helps you know people to understand that gives meaning to the work, it's just not understood or important.
0: So in closing, because we love to keep things punchy and short, I'd love to hear your perspective on chomping at the bit here to ask you about Mackenzie Bezos and uh, Melinda Gates, because wow, why well, I don't even need to say much. So, so what, are, what are your thoughts around uh, really wealthy women and their power and, and where things might be going? And then at the end, tell us where people can find you and what you're up to and all those different things.
2: Yeah. I am so fascinated and intrigued at what Mackenzie Bezos and uh, Melinda Gates are going to do next. Both have, you know, Melinda Gates, of course, is better known. And she has a reputation and a brand for having been a real conscience behind the money. And I strongly suspect that that will Continue. You know, what I always found so interesting is in this age of mega wealth, we still haven't necessarily reached the kind of philanthropy that we would have seen in like the steel age. Carnegie and Rockefeller, not necessarily fantastic people, but massive, you know, massive biases certainly towards philanthropy, which we haven't really seen from a lot of the internet millionaires that have been created today. So, I look forward to seeing how, you know, these two women put their imprint on philanthropy and how that influences future generations. So that's, I'm super curious about that to see how examples of how massively wealthy women shape how wealth is understood and used. Yeah. And as far as finding me, you can find me at eleanorbeaton.com or if you're a podcast listener, the Power Presence Position podcast
0: very good such a pleasure chatting with you uh really inspiring as we said earlier I mean, the clarity uh, that you speak with is is remarkable and where where else can folks kind of follow you or work with you because i know you've got a bunch of different things
2: yeah so i really work through a couple of different programs that are all about creating the infrastructure that really supports turning ideas into assets. And so there's a couple of programs that I run called the Power Presence Position Business Accelerator and the Incubator. These are for women entrepreneurs who sell knowledge and expertise. And all of those details, you can get them at eleanorbeaton.com. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Eleanor. I particularly love some of those stories. I love your 30-30-30 I think that is the simplest version of a complex concept that I have ever heard and so thank you for sharing that with us. There is no doubt that the way you talk about
0: thought leadership and about honestly generational wealth and I was surprised uh, when you brought up, you know, that statistic that that women are starting businesses so much faster. than than their counterparts. It's going to be amazing to see what happens in the coming years. And, um, you know, the
1: world needs your empowerment and your empowering voice. And if you want to have some empowerment of your own, go and visit our website, thoughtpartnergroup.com. And top right-hand corner, you'll see a little button that says assessment. You can click on that. Spend a minute of time filling out the assessment to find out just how powerful you really are. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure the empowerment was the right word there, Randy,
0: But it is a fun little one-minute assessment, so we can at least promise a little bit of fun. And if you, you know, if you want to hear from amazing guests like Eleanor uh, tomorrow and the business day after that, and you want to stay tuned, uh, feel free to subscribe. And if you rate and review us, we'd love positive ones. Or even if you just, you know, click on the little five-star button, it's kind of fun to watch.
1: So that's it for today. Hopefully you'll be signed up to listen to our next podcast coming out very soon. Enjoy the rice cakes and peanut butter. Bye for now.